Good morning. It's so good to be back with y'all, worshiping. Hi, Kira. Oh, church family is a gift. I would like to read um, the passage to you today from the message, and um, it's found in Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 17. So, chosen by God for this new life of love, dress in the wardrobe God picked out for you. Compassion, kindness, humility, quiet strength, discipline. Be even-tempered, content with second place, quick to forgive an offense. Forgive as quickly and completely as the master forgave you. And regardless of what else you put on, wear love. It's your basic all-purpose garment. Never be without it. Let the peace of Christ keep you in tune with each other, in step with each other. None of this going off and doing your own thing. Cultivate thankfulness. Let the word of Christ, the message, have the run of the house. Give it plenty of room in your lives. Instruct and direct one another using good common sense. And sing. Sing. Sing your hearts out to God. Let every detail in your lives, words, actions, whatever, be done in the name of the Master, Jesus, thanking God the Father every step of the way. The word of the Lord. Good morning. Before we get started, I'd like to open us up in a word of prayer. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we worship you. We worship you because you are worthy of our praise and our worship. We worship you for your power, which defies imagination, for your knowledge, which knows no limits, for your goodness, for your goodness that you have shown to us in so many beautiful and powerful ways. We worship you not because you are good, but because you are the source of all goodness. We only know what is good because of you. Knowing that that is true, our hearts are heavy as we consider the events going on in the world still this week. Things are not as they should be. The peace that we are going to hear today from the Apostle Paul that you have called us to wear and to take on is missing. So this morning we grieve with the families in Maine who have lost loved ones in that shooting. This morning our hearts break for the loss of lives in Gaza and Israel. We pray for peace. 
We pray for a miracle. We pray that your goodness would be known throughout the world as we know it will be when your son returns. We pray that that day would be soon. But until that day comes, we pray for a foretaste of the promised peace we know is coming. We pray all of these things in the powerful name of Jesus Christ and by the power of the Spirit. Amen. Get ready. Get ready. Those are words that can inspire fear in some households. Get ready. For, for what? Where are we going? Because where we're going determines how we're going to get ready, right? If we're going to, say, a Rangers game to watch them win the World Series, getting ready is, means you're going to wear certain clothes. If you are going to go to the gym to work out, you're going to get ready in a different way than if you were going to a job interview to try to land that position. Get ready. Be prepared. What are you going to wear? Y'all remember the, the fashion-forward decade of the 80s, right? Th those were the golden years. Parachute pants. By show of hands, who actually wore parachute pants at some point? Okay, there are some honest people in the congregation. Thank you. Do you remember the, the double polos and you double pop the collar? Those, those were interesting days, and we don't see too much of that anymore because by the grace of God, it's gone out of style. Well, this morning, we are going to see about something that we are to wear and put on, and the good news is the 21st century style matches the first century style. What the Apostle Paul calls us to put on and wear is what we should be putting on and wearing even today. And it's not going to be parachute pants and double-popped collars. It's going to be something that makes Christ known. And the beauty of God shines through his people. So this morning, as we look at this text, we're going to see three core components. We're going to see a forgiveness that's selfless. We're going to see a thanksgiving that's comprehensive. And thirdly, we're going to see a worship that edifies. So let's turn to the text that Carrie Jane just read for us in Colossians chapter 3. And I love the way that the message captured the wardrobe, the wardrobe that we're called to wear. I'm going to be reading from the CSB. Uh, the, the text comes across a little differently, and we're going to dig into it. Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly beloved, you know, let's pause there for a second. This language is important. If you remember from the first week when we talked about the context of this book, this book was written to these believers in Colossae at a time when there's danger in the city because there's a false teacher who is putting out all sorts of lies saying that Jesus is not enough. Gentile believers made up the majority of this population. Gentile believers meaning those who aren't Jewish the Jewish people, the people of God, the Gentiles were outsiders. They didn't come from that lineage, but they were Christians. Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, this is language that we see in the Hebrew Scriptures over and over again to speak of God's chosen people. 
These saints in Colossae are God's chosen people. Friends, here in Richardson, Texas, we are chosen ones, holy and dearly loved. And because of this, because of this reality that God has chosen us and set us apart to be different, we're called to look different. And now we start getting the outfit that we're supposed to wear. Put on compassion. That, that word for compassion is a, a word that has to do with the gut, with the intense feelings of the gut. Put on compassion. Do you ache for those who are suffering? Uh, Jesus is described as having this this type of compassion, when he looked out at the people and he saw how lost they were, and he was wrapped with pain in his gut with such intense compassion. And that's what we're called to. And I have to ask myself a question as I look at that. Put on compassion. When is the last time I was moved to the point of tears because of someone else's plight? What does it look like for you to be a man, to be a woman of compassion, to allow yourself to be moved by those who are in need. This is what we're called to, to put on compassion, kindness. You know, the story of the Good Samaritan gives us that picture of kindness, this one who is willing to do something for a complete stranger at great expense to himself with no reward or recognition whatsoever. Are we willing to put on kindness, to inconvenience ourselves for the good of others, to put others first? Humility. Now, here in the 21st century, when we talk about humility, we recognize it as a virtue. We recognize it as a good thing. This is counter-cultural to the first century times. In in ancient Greece, the, the Greeks would view humility as weakness. It was all about self-promotion and and making yourselves lifted up above others. That's what you were driving for constantly. And for the Apostle Paul to say, put on humility. I, I could see the people receiving this letter going, compassion, okay, I get that. Kindness with you, Paul. Humility. What? You want me to be less than other people? Everything in our culture and society says I'm supposed to be more than other people. And I said that it's different in the first century than the 21st century, and we recognize humility as a virtue. I think we do, but don't we still have the same message? I'm supposed to be more than other people. I'm supposed to be better than other people. I'm not supposed to treat others as if they're better than me. I'm going to expect others to recognize that I'm better. I would never say it. It's rude but it's what I want. Humility. Like the humility of Christ, he who is the second person of the Trinity, the creator, the one who holds all things together, took on flesh and walked amongst his creation. Talk about humility. He said no to his divine prerogative to rule and came to serve. This is a beautiful humility that we're having to ascribe to us. Gentleness. Swallowing, counting to ten before we respond with gentleness and patience. 
You know, this is convicting enough already. I think I could stop with this verse. So let me just read that list again in its entirety. Put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bearing with one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a grievance against another. This forgiveness, forgiving one another, bearing with one another. Bearing with one another, the language of that is you are putting up with a very difficult person and you are bearing with them. This is not the bearing of one another's burdens that we have elsewhere in Scripture. This is, all right, you are the type of person that I struggle to get along with, but I am called to be humble, to be gentle, to be kind, and to bear with you, and to forgive you any offenses. God is going to give us so many opportunities to bear with one another. And we should be prepared for that and recognize the call that we have and forgiving one another. All of these things, this entire list, are relational. All of these things are relational. They need someone else. You can't be humble if you're not with someone else. You can't be gentle without someone else. Paul is giving us this outfit, this wardrobe to equip us to be in community with one another, to know one another, to love one another well. And this forgiveness, Paul repeatedly emphasizes forgiveness as a response and a correction to this false teacher. This false teacher who is saying Christ's work is insufficient. Well, what was the work of Christ? It was forgiveness. We are forgiven because of his work, and we are called to forgive. And this forgiveness is difficult. If, if we're being honest with ourselves, it's not easy to forgive those who have wronged us. Uh, Henry Nowen writes about this in his book, Seeds of Hope. He says, Maybe the reason it seems hard for me to forgive others is that I do not fully believe that I am a forgiven person. If I could fully accept the truth that I am forgiven and do not have to live in guilt or shame, I would really be free. So I have two questions. Do you believe that you are forgiven? Do you believe that the work of Jesus Christ was sufficient? Let me tell you this morning, unequivocally, without a doubt, the work of Jesus was enough. There's nothing else you need to do to make it work. Jesus' work was sufficient. You are forgiven. And because we have been forgiven of much, we are called to be like Christ and to forgive others. But it's hard to forgive some wrongs against us. But let me tell you, it hurts to hurt. And I have to ask myself when I look at this, does the pain of yesterday's hurt prevent the healing of God in my life today? I need to forgive. I need to let go. And just as a personal illustration, as I've been studying this text for the past few weeks, this has been convicting me. There has been a relationship in my life that was once very close, and then there was an offense. I was wronged. And that wrong has kept me up at night for years. Regularly, I put my head on the pillow to go to sleep 
and this person's name and that offense comes to my mind. And it's been agonizing and it's been difficult, but I don't want to meet with that person. I don't want to forgive them because they wronged me. So you can ask me how this goes, but I've scheduled a meeting with that person. I'm meeting with them this next week. We're going to go out for lunch, and I'm going to have that conversation with them because I need to forgive them. I need to stop hurting. I'm not punishing them by holding on to this this grudge. I'm punishing myself. And here we are called to forgive. And the verse... Verse 13 really nails why we need to be doing this. Forgiving one another, if anyone has a grievance against another, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you are to forgive. Do you believe you've been forgiven? Then forgive. We are called to do this for the good of the body of Christ. We are called to forgive. When the unbelieving world witnesses us forgiving those who wrong us. They see something that doesn't make sense. They see the beauty of Christ in and through us. So this forgiveness is selfless. You're not forgiving to get. You're forgiving because it's what we are called to do. You are forgiving because we have been forgiven. And in verse 14, we continue on. Above all, put on love which is the perfect bond of unity. The false teacher in Colossae was talking about individual achievement. What you need to do above and beyond what Jesus has done to find this secret knowledge, to find what's true, to earn your salvation. Paul is saying, hey, this is about one another. It's always been about one another. And love, this love that is characterized by this compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, this love, that binds everything together in perfect harmony. That's what the body of Christ is called to look like, this perfect bond of unity. And let the peace of Christ, this is what I mentioned in my prayer, the peace of Christ, The peace of Christ is not peace like we normally think of it. It is richer and it is deeper. It is this Hebrew idea of shalom, which is more than just, okay, we're not going to fight anymore. It's a sense of wholeness, of completeness. But even beyond that, it's a sense of flourishing. Let the flourishing, holistic, beautiful, perfect peace of Christ to which you were also called in one body, rule your hearts and be thankful. Rule your hearts. That's the idea of an umpire making a decision. Peace rules your heart. So that means we should be controlled by the peace of Christ. When we face a situation, we check with the umpire. The umpire is the peace of Christ. Is this decision, is this response that I'm about to make something that is characterized by the peace of Christ or is it something other than? Well, I'm supposed to let the peace of Christ rule. Make the deciding decision. That was just a little redundant. This is what we're called to, to be controlled by this. And we're also called to accept this calling to peace. 
So just as we're forgiving one another selflessly, we're called to be at peace with one another, to stop drawing battle lines and fighting over insignificant secondary issues, to walk in unity in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I think about military training and the time that we spent in the trenches or in the foxhole, and you're with somebody, and you are side by side in that foxhole, and you are both facing the enemy, and you have each other's back, and you are working together, and we know that the threat is over there. But then when the conflict ends or the shift is over, you leave that foxhole and you go back to the barracks. Remember that call to bear with one another? Sometimes that soldier that you're in that foxhole with, with who's, you are putting their life in their hands and they're doing the same with you. Talk about trust. You get back to the barracks, you want nothing to do with them. And you start sniping at one another and you start fighting with one another. We are so used to fighting that we go back to the barracks and we continue to fight, but now not an enemy that is common to us both, but we start to fight one another. Church, how often do we do this? How often do we recognize the threat of the enemy? And we need to stand strong, and we need to do that which is right, and we need to represent Christ because there is an enemy that seeks to see the peace of Christ destroyed. But we get so lost in combat that when we get together, we keep fighting, and we fight over ridiculous things. The ridiculous things, the, the color of the carpet, the type of music that we sing. We fight and divide over things that should never divide us. We need to accept the call to this perfect harmony, to this peace of Christ. And verse 15 ends with a very simple word. It's one word in the Greek. And be thankful. This thanksgiving that we read about in this passage is a comprehensive thanksgiving. There, there's no limits on it. Listen as I skip down uh, to verse 17. And whatever, okay, whatever, what is excluded from whatever? Nothing. Whatever is a comprehensive statement, right? Whatever comes your way. And whatever you, that, that's a personal call, to each and every one of us. And whatever you do, okay, so it's a comprehensive call to each of us to action. Whatever you do, in word or in deed, you're getting the picture here? Word and in deed. What we sang just a moment ago as Earl and the team led us, in word and in deed, whatever you do, comprehensive, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This thanksgiving should characterize everything that we do in life. This thanksgiving uh, protects us from the lie that we are self-sufficient. To believe that we're self-sufficient is to accept an idol. You're making yourself an idol. To give thanks is to acknowledge our complete dependence upon the Creator. Have you ever thought about your profession, your home, your possessions. Everything that you have and everything that you are is a gift. It's not yours. But I earned it. 
I, I earned this house. I earned this money to pay for these things. They're mine. Everything you are is a gift from the Creator. So insofar as you earned it, you earned it because the grace of God has enabled you to be one who earns. And everything, everything that is, is God's. And that includes me. And that includes you. What we're called to do is transfer everything that we are and everything that we have from the account of ownership to the account of stewardship. And to recognize we are stewarding what God has given us. And be thankful. We are to be thankful for all things at all times. Not just on Sunday mornings. This Thanksgiving is comprehensive. Seven days a week, every category of life, whatever you do in word and deed, everything, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks. If worship is submission to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, then it is a lifestyle. It is not something that's just restricted to a sacred time and place. Every time and every place is a sacred opportunity to worship with our gifts and with our talents and everything that we have and everything that we are. And what does that look like, this, this worship? Well, verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you. Let the word of Christ. This is the only place in the New Testament this phrase exists. And what is Paul getting at here? Let the word of Christ. He's not just talking about the words in red in the Gospels. He's talking about the message of Christ, the word of Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let the word of Christ, the message of Jesus, dwell richly among you. I love the word dwell. Dwell means to take up residence. So what does this mean? The gospel of Jesus Christ takes up residence in us so that everything we say and everything we do is a beautiful representation of who Jesus is. And if we are putting on this, this outfit that's been described to us, kindness, humility, compassion, gentleness, patience, we're looking like Christ to a world that desperately needs to know him. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another. How are we supposed to teach and admonish one another? Well, after this service, we're having an adult class in the JV room, in the C-wing. Is, is that what it means? Is that what we're talking about? Well, yes, but something else is being talked about here. How are we to teach and admonish one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts? We are called to be a worshiping people. Worshiping with our words, worshiping with our actions, but explicitly worshiping with song. And this worship is described as a worship that edifies, a worship that builds up. So as we're singing, we're not simply singing notes because they sound good. We're not simply making harmonies. We are singing words that are making statements that are true. We are singing truth to one another. 
We are hearing these words being sung, and we are being encouraged, and we are being instructed, and we are being edified and built up by what we're singing. I'm so thankful for Earl and his team and the music that they choose and how it is scripturally rooted and bound, and it is truth, and we're singing truth. We're not singing shallow, empty songs. Uh, There's an author, Marva Dawn, and she wrote a wonderful book on worship, and she says, shallow worship makes shallow people. May God protect us from shallow worship, but may the Spirit guide us to recognize the words of truth that we're singing, that we don't just brush past them because it's something that we do on Sunday mornings before we get to what's next, you know, which is lunch. May we hear the words that we're singing. May we be encouraged and edified by one another as we're singing towards God with one another. This is worship. We are called to live a life of worshipful thanksgiving. As I read this passage, that's what strikes me. On Sunday morning, Jesus is Lord of all. But you know when else he is Lord of all? Monday through Saturday. 168 hours a week. You can check my math later. Jesus is Lord of all. There's never a time where this is not true. Paul calls us to examine every aspect of our lives and identify the true object of our worship. Are we worshiping Jesus Christ? Are we worshiping the one to whom this book points? Or are we worshiping something else altogether? Are our lives characterized by this wardrobe that Paul has described for us? We're called to put off the old man and put on the new. And this new man, this wardrobe of righteousness that we have because of who we are in Christ Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bearing with one another, forgiving one another. Above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. It's easy for me to say because the words are right here in front of me. But it's difficult to do. C.S. Lewis has some advice for us as we think about, well, how do I do this? How do I put on this wardrobe? He talks about pretending, and sometimes pretending is very dangerous. He goes on to say, but there is also a good kind of pretending, where the pretense leads up to the real thing. When you are not feeling particularly friendly, but know you ought to be, the best thing that you can do very often is to put on a friendly manner and behave as if you were a nicer person than you actually are. And in a few minutes, as we have all noticed, you will be feeling friendlier than you were. Very often, the only way to get equality in reality is to start behaving as if you had it already. So friends, whatever you do, in word and deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God our Father through him. Think about your words Think about your actions. Can Christ be seen in the way that you are loving, the way that you are speaking, the way that you are walking, the way that you are serving? This is the call. It's a big call, but it's a beautiful call. This is what binds us together in unity.
Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for what you have shown us in your word. That you have called us to become more than we are. We thank you that you have not left us alone in this, but you have called us into a community where we might encourage one another. But even more beautifully, you have given us the Holy Spirit. We are thankful for all that you have done and all that you are. You alone are the source of all goodness. I pray that in times of difficulty, we would be reminded of your goodness and be thankful. And this thankfulness reminds us not only of your past goodness to us, but also of the fact that you are our creator and you are in control. When life feels like it's spinning out of control, may our life of worshipful thanksgiving remind us of the truth of who you are. We cannot do this on our own. So give us the humility to recognize we need one another and the wisdom to submit to the Holy Spirit so that he might work in us, through us, and often in spite of us. We pray this by his power. Amen.